Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration and collaboration creates community and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck and this is Face to Face. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We have another, uh, I think, interesting and exciting interview uh, today with Brian Weber from YMCA. He's the VP of Financial Development for Hamilton, Burlington, and Brantford. Thanks for joining us today, Brian. Thank you, David. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about uh, generosity today. We're going to talk about giving. We're going to talk about maybe the notion of giving back, things like compassion fatigue, uh, 
uh, donor fatigue, um, what appears to be, uh, you know, as Canadians uh, are supposed to be pretty generous people, yeah. or at least that's what we most of us have been led to believe. Um, so maybe we'll get into some statistics, but I think um, I think what I, uh, Brian, where I'd really like to start before we even hear a little bit more about you uh, is uh, why, what are some of the reasons why people give, give of their time or you know, give money to an organization or sponsor a child through through uh, Save the Children or, yeah. or, or those or volunteer at a hospital. Sure. Well, I think giving uh, typically starts from your heart um, and your own experiences. So, if you've benefited from an organization uh, personally or a family member, parent, grandparent, child, grandchild, um, that's usually where the giving relationship starts with any organization. Uh, most giving, if we look at numbers, as yep. you suggest, yep. we might want to cover that today. Um, Ten billion dollars, roughly, in, in Canada. Um, Eighty-five percent of that is you and I, individuals. The balance is is corporations and and uh, giving foundations. Most people, when they think about philanthropy, they actually think most of the money comes from corporations. Right. But uh, as you've just heard, less than 15% actually comes from business. I think that's primarily because they demand great recognition for their support. Right. Not so much for individuals. But of that $10 billion, between 45 and 50% of that is faith-based. So uh, religious uh, organizations, churches, synagogues, mosques, um, all faiths, uh, or programs related uh, to mission delivery in all of those different organizations. So and when you say mission delivery, you don't mean missionary. You mean right. Could be food banks. Could be um, house local building programs, ministries. Whatever like a habitat, for instance, yeah. or you know those kinds of things. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. So the giving experience often starts there um, from something that's moved you and moved your heart, and um, at least the meaningful giving. Uh, we're all asked to give to charities every day. It comes in our mail, on our email, uh, personal relationships. Um, uh, I call those go-away gifts. Uh, typically, <laughs> depending on your income, people will make a gift to that so that you go away. And yeah, sure. For me, yep. that used to be $20, and I'm earning a little bit more, so that's $50 now. And Just because somebody asked, and, and um, I don't really have an investment in that, Organization, right. but I have right. an investment in the person, the relationship that, that may that be asked, may be asked me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, there's so much we can talk about. I'd love to talk about, uh, you know, um, people coming to your door and knocking yeah. on your door because that seems to be getting more popular today. But I, I just want to uh, tease something out. So my yeah. father, Parkinson's disease yeah. for many years. My dad and I went to a few meetings together. Uh, it was something never that really resonated with him or my mother. I don't think the actual support mechanism of yeah. other people. I'd been working in international development, as the, uh, my listeners will know, uh, yeah. for many years, and I've a real passion for Cambodia, but have been starting to realize that, hang on a second here, you know, gi giving is, you know, it's, it's, it's not either or. Yeah. And I, it's one of my favorite things to talk about on the podcast is the way we all seem to polarize things. So yes. it's about this or it's about that. It's yeah. about up, it's about down. Well, you know, as the more, the more countries you travel to, the more you realize we're all just in this together. We're all a mess. We're all the same. We all have the same needs and desires and hopes and wants and fears. Plenty of work to be done here in our backyard. You at the YMCA know that as well. Why am I not giving to the Parkinson's Foundation? Mm. I don't give to them regularly. I don't volunteer with them. And yet, you know, my father's life was 
wasted, basically, in my, you know, in some regards, by this disease. Anyway, I've not thought about it until yeah. right this very second, yeah. and 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 yet I've got this. When I look back in my, you know, my faith-based background, when I look back at the the connections to 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 people going overseas to do work in particular yeah. countries, and it's always been a part of my life. Okay, now it's starting to make sense yeah. why I'm here today, why I went through an international development program, and so on. Yeah. So. Just anyway, just something. Why are you not giving to Parkinson's? Yeah, I, I think it's a fair question, uh, but I wouldn't dismiss the possibility that you would give to Parkinson's in the future. In the future, uh, right, I know sure. that you recently lost your father, and mm -hmm. um, those uh, relationships that will be a lifelong relationship for you um, that may surface in a different way in a year, five years, ten years from now. Uh, we're all sort of products of our experience and so that may be part of it uh, another part of it is the Parkinson's organization better be organized well right. enough to know right that right. Um, your father um, suffered with the illness and uh, I mean they can't callously approach you uh, right. in your period of grief but um, or there are 85,000 charities in Canada yes and I think as you said when we were talking earlier there are many many fundraisers uh, there are many fundraising and fundraisers that we can all get better at organizing ourselves and doing better work. So don't blame yourself for not giving to Parkinson's um, and let, let's see what the future lies, but also recognize that in some ways it's very much the organization's responsibility to get to you. And well, I mean, and I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you look at somebody into, let's go down the Parkinson's road for a second, Michael J. Fox. Yeah. You know, he's written several books about it now. He advocates for it. He's got his own foundation. He's yeah. putting in tons of money into Parkinson's research, which would never have happened if he hadn't developed it at 45 or he's yeah. pretty, pretty young, around the same age as my dad, I think, okay. when my dad was diagnosed. So, yeah, yeah and that's not, a, I'm not making a judgment. It's not a good or a bad thing. I yeah. just think it's it's kind of interesting that yeah. uh, Parkinson's would not have been on probably Michael J. Fox's radar no. at all. No, absolutely, yeah. No, and I think, and I know a little bit about your interest in, in Southeast Asia and Cambodia in particular, uh, which has driven a lot of your own mm -hmm. decisions about career and work and study. Yes. Um, but I, in the end, I think you're answering something that's really in your heart. Yeah, yeah, there's some kind of calling. Yeah. And it's, it's so, you know, I was with the videographer in our last trip and we were, you know, uh, working on behalf of a couple organizations and, and he said to me several points throughout the trip, there's just something about this country. I don't know what yeah. it is. Like, yeah. it's just, the, I don't know if it's the people or if it's, you know, and there's this mystery, there's this edge or, you know, yeah. and, we, and we, you know, commiserated on that. We agreed, but I yeah. don't know that every, you know, it's called the kingdom of wonder, mm -hmm. wonder. But you know, I mean, we all have stories like this, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and and I'm not 100% sure exactly what it is. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think it's a a, a heartful kind of calling or an answer to a calling, perhaps. Yeah. And I I think most of us don't make the time to listen to mm. our heart. We're busy day to day, um, and and only getting faster by the day with technology and social media. We can't read more than 140 characters. Um, and I think the more we time that we can make in reflection and to consider what matters to each of us, I think we'll make better decisions on what resources we have, what skills we want to share, and, and ultimately affect career decisions and family decisions. 
So we talked about, you know, what would be the subject for this podcast, this interview, our discussion, our conversation. We talked around the idea of the joy of generosity, yeah. which I think is a great title for a book or an essay or, yeah. or, or a podcast. Yeah. Um, I know lots of people who would say there's probably not a whole lot of joy in giving because that's actually taking something from me. I'm not, yeah. what, about my, what about my house payment? What about my, uh, you know, uh, my, my food bills? You know, I've got a few friends who are struggling right now, you know, and, and uh, they're probably not in, the, in a giving mode. Yeah. So is that just uh, uh, a window in their lives? Or is, you know, uh, what, what, yeah. what are we talking about here? It just it, it doesn't necessarily sound joyful to me. No. <laughs> no, because I think we, there's a lot of uncertainty uh, yeah. about our own employment situation, um, the debt that we're carrying. Debt is a huge obstacle to giving. Uh, if they don't feel like they can manage their own expenses, why are they going to give anything away? And I, one of my colleagues I recently said, there was a, uh, a notion of the joy of giving, and, and uh, he flipped it around and, and called it the joy of asking. Hmm. It's sharing a giving experience with somebody um, and presenting that opportunity for them to experience what it's like to give. And, and I, I, what I'm getting at here is more than the go-away gift. Giving to a point where it hurts a bit, and it makes you think. Um, I had an early experience with this. Um, my wife and I, virtually living paycheck to paycheck, um, young family, the girls, we have three girls, they would have been three, five, and six, or maybe a little bit older than that. And uh, we thought it would be nice to have a, a special Christmas. We don't have a lot of money. Uh, we had a surplus computer. We thought we could probably get a few hundred dollars for that computer. This is back in the early 90s when um, you advertised in papers to sell things and not online. The, the penny saver. The penny saver. A friend of mine met his wife, no kidding. No the, way. Through the penny saver, yeah. the Brampton penny saver. Wow, yeah. we've yeah. come a long way. That's right. Penny saver. That's right. I love that. Anyway, uh, we, so we decided we'd sell the computer, raise a few hundred dollars and, and have, a, have some money to buy something special for the girls. and, and uh, so we posted the ad, sold the, uh, um, got a call from a, a Polish fellow that recently emigrated to Canada with his son. And uh, so he called and said he's interested in the computer, could I bring it over? And he sort of put it through its paces to see if he's willing to pay uh, and buy the computer. So I took the computer over, met with this gentleman and his son. They were in a very modest apartment above a grocery store. Uh, we were in Burlington. and. Uh, so I, I uh, let him go through the, the evaluation of the computer and, and uh, at the end he said, yeah, I'll pay you the money that you're asking, $300. And so Didn't I, even try to barter? No, no barter, he just oh, paid the full price. Paid the full price. And so I thought this is wonderful, but I was really shaken by this man's story hmm. uh, to think here I was in Burlington uh, with a roof and a mortgage, mind you, um, but a roof nonetheless and a full fridge of food and a good job and a car and all of that. This guy would use a bus to get to job interviews and, and all of that. And, and uh, so I got back to my car in the parking lot of where this fellow's apartment was and looked at these three $100 bills and decided <clears throat> at that moment, I couldn't take the money. Mm. It would be good for me to give it back to this man. 
So I turned around, knocked on his door, and gave him his money back. <clears throat> I, I walked back to my car in tears. Mm -hmm. yeah, came quite, home, quite told, a moment. Yeah, told my wife the story. And she wasn't disappointed for a moment mm. that we didn't have the money. That's cool. You're going to have me in tears over here in a second, Brian. <laughs> We're going to have to pause the podcast. Yeah. But <laughs> it was the richest Christmas by far. Yeah. You know, I used to think at that. Did that, your daughters know at that time? Did you tell them or was this later on? No, you, no. They were too young to, right. to hear that story. Right, but right. Peggy and I were what thinking. What do you mean you gave the money away? What about our Christmas yeah, gifts? Yeah, yeah. They, they, what, whatever they got that Christmas was sufficient. Right. But what I didn't realize was I was given a far greater gift yeah. than I could have ever imagined. And how long ago would this have been? Uh, at least 15 years ago. Okay. So this predates your, your development yeah. work, your financial I wasn't work? In, and, no. Yeah. Huh. And so it was a moment like, wow. I, it was a gift that I, uh, was unexpected. It hurt a little bit. Yeah. But the return was so enormous. Well, and clearly, I mean, the, the, the demeanor here, you know, the, you're on the edge of tears and the, obviously a huge impact on you. And yeah. I mean, I, I'd like to think we all have stories like that. Yeah. Not necessarily of, you know, giving away X amount of dollars yeah. or the parking lot or the Polish side or the computer side. Yeah. Um, but I guess maybe what interests me is a couple things. Why that sudden moment, that, that, that that you had this realization, this uh, almost epiphany in a way that, you know, clearly this man's story really stuck with you as well. Yeah. You didn't mistrust him. You clearly trusted him. This was the real deal. He wasn't a con man trying yeah. to put one on, over you to get a free computer. Yeah. Uh, Etc. But you know why? Not all, we wouldn't all uh, we wouldn't all react that way, right. Brian. Like yeah. I mean, we'd go, "Wow, this is awesome." He didn't even barter. Yeah. Boom! Off to yeah. Toys R Us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And 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 there's nothing wrong with that either. I don't sure. think, right? It's a transaction. It's a you know, I'm giving the guy the computer. I'm getting my three hundred yeah. bucks where everybody's good. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm fascinated by that. I think because I would say more often than not, most people wouldn't react that way. That'd be my guess. Yeah, well, um, it's a fair question. I, at the time, was brand new to uh, this faith um, journey that I was on. I was beginning to explore my Christian interests at the time. So this may very well have been an, an intervention of the Spirit. Hmm. Um, or a combination of that with the realization that um, this man uh, had so much less than I did. And I was coming to that transaction with sort of a, a notion of scarcity that I didn't have enough. and what was revealed was I did have enough. Right. Um, and the great disparity of the world that we're in, that there are greater and lesser people, in terms of resources at least, uh, for every person. And what is my role in that? Um, and so uh, divine intervention possibly, um, or just uh, a momentary revealing of that truth. That if if you were to go back and I don't know write this down and create a uh, write a paper or, or yeah. you're going to do a one hour presentation, would there be anything that preceded that? Would there have been any experiences, discussions with your wife, your kids, your a trip to I don't know Southeast Asia? Yeah. Uh, uh, 
not being able to give somebody some money on the side of the road who asked you, things like that, that some sort of yeah. thread that might have led up to that kind of a moment? Yeah, I, I think, uh, I don't know the exact timing, um, but prior to that, we had recently adopted a foster child, a monthly foster plan, mm -hmm. and it was, it was a suggestion from our pastor uh, at the time. And we thought that would be a good message to the children, that, that we have one more family member mm -hmm. that doesn't live here with us in Canada. Right, right. She lives outside the country. And we set up a, um, a letter writing exchange, and as the, uh, the Children's Fund does and makes it easy to do. So a little taste of giving sure. and, and, yep. uh, and what that might be, but it was like $30 a month. It wasn't a big investment. Um, so that might have been part of it, may have led up to it. Don't know. Yeah, I'm always, I'm, I am always fascinated. I mean, even on the side of the street, you know, I've, I've been in meetings with uh, NGO leaders who uh, work in the field, yeah. who are, you know, uh, supposedly generous and are um, giving. Um, yeah. And, uh, but when it comes time to p pay the tip, uh, or they, uh, we bump into somebody on the way back to the car on the street who's asking for money. Yeah. There seems to be a very distinct lack of generosity. Yeah, uh, it seems to me, and and uh, I've I, and I, I've I get I get I get criticized for being a heavy tipper. Yeah, <laughs> but I actually do it not, and I give to people who ask me for for money on the street. Yeah, and I've been I've been you know leveled for that too by others because there's a lack of responsibility. What are you yeah. doing? You're feeding into a drug habit, or yeah. you know? And I say, you know what? My responsibility, I believe, ends at the ask. Yeah. I've been asked by somebody who I don't know. I don't know their situation. Yeah. And I and I actually so I, I do take some joy, frankly, yeah. of giving somebody a toonie or a five dollar bill. Yeah. Uh, and actually going beyond their expectations, right. or at least I try to. Yeah. And and it's and I often say to people, you know what? This is also for me. Yeah. This is a reminder to me. Yeah. When I see somebody on the road like this, this is a reminder to me that that, that there but for the grace, yeah. this could be me. We don't know the situation, et cetera, et, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And I just, I don't know. I, I don't think we need any more reasons to think about ourselves. Yeah, no, I think you that's know, well you, said. You know, I, I've come to terms with panhandlers as well. I, I agree with you 100%. It's a reminder for us, and but it's also a, a something that I didn't necessarily know years ago. None of us sit in the seat of judgment uh, of that individual's circumstance. And so to put conditions on the gift, to say, I insist that you take this $5 bill and go to Tim Hortons and get something nutritious versus alcohol, um, recognize that you have that $5 in your pocket for a reason, and it may very well be to just give away. I. Um, my daughter had an experience recently where she was in a restaurant with friends having breakfast and one of our family friends was in the restaurant with her and noticed that uh, our daughter was also eating in the restaurant and they happened to finish earlier than our daughter and her friends and what they did was they paid right. her bill. <laughs> nice. And That's pretty fun. It was a brilliant message yeah. to um, my daughter and all of her friends that the bill was paid by a complete stranger. My daughter figured out who it was. But this friend of mine, we share this great adventure of generosity, he just had this str um, 
lightness of step for the rest of his day. Yeah, yeah. Because he didn't. He a didn't want the the uh, the receiver to know that that goes back to that yeah. sort of anonymous giving thing yeah. that we yeah. talked about yeah. earlier, um, but just the experience of the gift and yeah. just giving yeah. it away. Are Canadians generous? They're not as generous as Americans. If you look at the numbers, um, average giving is about a third of what Americans give. The social net is a great argument and a great reason why Canadians say they don't give right, as, as right, generally right, as they. Because we're all Marxists. Up here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we pay it in taxes and those all of communists, that. Communists, yeah. those Canadians. Yeah, um, but here at the Y, the work that I do, um, we learn a lot from our American colleagues about mm. generosity. Mm. Their, their schools and alumni systems and. I guess we could do the numbers, right? Uh, was it about eight, eight and a half billion? I thought it was less than that as for individual giving. So eight and a yeah. half billion divided by what? Thirty-three million. Yeah, uh, they're over three hundred. I was going to say billion. it's about. Th I, I heard that it was about. Th uh, Sorry, three hundred and thirty million in the U.S. Right? Uh, we're ten, so they're. Um, that's at least ten to one. Jeez, so I don't have the American data. At, at well, I remember a few years back um, uh, learning that Canadians, on average, gave about three hundred and fifty dollars yeah, a year yeah. per family, or is that per individual? That's an individual taxpayer. That's based on uh, those see. that file okay. a tax right, uh, right, right, return. Right. That's how Stats Canada measures the numbers. So, so if we're going to talk about generosity, so Canadians aren't that generous. What about with time? What about with ideas? What about with um, um, mentoring? You know, that, yeah. that kind of thing. I, that's a good question because generosity goes way beyond it does. money. Yeah, we've been talking mostly about money yeah. and the guy on the street asking for a bit of yeah. cash and so on. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah. It's, it's generosity of everything. It's generosity of spirit. Yes. That. Uh, well, hang on. I think I met you because of somebody I know on a board who you met at a Friday night get-together where you guys volunteer to yeah. feed the local homeless folk. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Feed. So, that, so not all about my, just, that just hit me. I totally had yeah. forgotten about that. Yeah. yeah. That Friday night dinner, and we call it Friday night community at Wellington Square, has just been a gift to our church. 200 plus people every huh. week come for a free meal. Uh, Chani and I um, are among the people that we just break bread and um, have a meal with these people that are in a different circumstance in life and the friendships that both Chani and I and others that serve in this role have developed from that experience. And you've heard it said you, you get more than you give in most volunteer experiences yeah. and, and this is true to that. Um, but I've learned a lot about this notion of uh, looking out for our fellow right. Person right, that, right. that none of us um, should ignore that responsibility, um, but it is. It generosity touches. Um, I hate this expression, but time, talent, and treasure. Totally overused expression. But do it, you have a do you have a PowerPoint presentation on that? <laughs> <laughs> time, um, talent, treasure. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it, it really does break it down into what each of us can bring to any organization or any community or any circumstance. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, when, when I listen to some of the people that we work and some of the work with here at the Y and some of our donors, they have a generosity of spirit mm. that they, they, the glass is half full for them. They see the possibilities they bring. Uh, they don't come from scarcity. They come from abundance. And I think that's one of the opportunities we have at, at 
when we talk about Canadians versus Americans, it seems in Canada most of the conversation right now is this corporate social responsibility mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, paradigm that businesses are are starting to wake up to. Imagine Canada set uh, a threshold for a caring company, I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago, if they gave 1% of their after-tax profit, they were a caring company. 1%. I, I just think that's pathetic. That bar is so low. It's pretty low. And I get that private enterprise needs, they have stakeholders and, yep, and, and, yep. and all of that, but it's no so wonder so that $10 billion, why we only see 1.5 coming from corporate Canada is that, and foundations. Well, isn't it, of, of Friedman, I mean, I, I rail on this with my students at Humber, but Friedman said that the social responsibility of business is to increase profits, period. Yeah, that's Back right. Back in the 70s, classic essay. Yeah. And I think our, to some degree, our understanding of the free market has been built on that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, 1%, I think, is uh, less, almost less than zero. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's it's ironic that the Occupy movement ended up with that number themselves. Yeah, yeah the yeah. ninety-nine percent versus the one percent is it's such an imbalance of uh, rich and poor. So, so let's go back to you. You mentioned about a couple of minutes ago this notion of scarcity and abundance. Yeah, and it sounds like you and I are kind of on the same page. Yeah. I mean, when it came down to what our numbers would be, our thresholds, yeah. I'm sure they're probably a little different. I've yeah. got younger children than you do, et cetera. Yeah. Maybe more liabilities. Who knows? Sure. Right. Um, not a lot of money in philosophy, Brian. Um, <laughs> so, but you look at corporate executives and their understanding, or you go to Southeast Oakville or South Oakville and yeah. you say, what's the difference between North Oakville? I live in North Oakville. Well, I live in a 1600 square foot house. Well, down in South Oakville, you got your 16,000 square foot yeah. house. Yeah. So their understanding of scarcity and abundance is very different. Is that part of the problem, do you think? Like I've, I've tried to get to the bottom of it and I can't, I mean, I'm still working on it and yeah. I still work in the field. And, you know, how do you challenge people to think about others? How do you get people to get out of their own backyards? Yeah. And, you know, and I've asked lots of people this question and I don't think there's an answer. I yeah. think it's, you know, I, this is why I'm so fascinated by your experience with the yeah. man who bought the computer. Yeah. I certainly don't need a 16,000 square foot home. I don't think any family of four does. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of obscene capitalism. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, um, getting in the way of my humanity. Yeah. That's how I would sort of describe it. And and yet, I guess they don't. Well, I was gonna say, that the person that's living in the 16,000 square foot house, um, many do realize that there's an emptiness maybe, to that. Maybe so, maybe so. And, yep. they, and they've never uh, either been given the opportunity to try, try a different way. Hmm. They've never been asked uh, right. to try a different way. It's a competition. They end up in circles where they um, outdo one another with the size of the planes that they own or the, the cars that they own. And there's such an emptiness to all that. And I think if most rich people were honest with themselves that there's a spiritual void and emptiness that comes from seeking material wealth. And, and to, to invite someone with that kind of wealth to make a gift that they would never expect to make. The, the key is, in, in our work, I'll give you a, a little insight. Um, there are three things that need to be in place for someone to make a major gift. A, they have to have the money. So the capacity to give. 
Secondly, uh, the interest in the organization. So whether, whether it's interest in Parkinson's because my father right. passed away Cambodia. or I went to Camp Wanakita, so I'm interested in the why. And there's my interest. Uh, and then the linkage, uh, what I call linkage. Linkage is connecting, putting the person in front of that individual. You're the linkage, aren't you? I'm, I, often the linkage, or our CEO is the linkage. Right. Or a volunteer is right, the linkage. Right. Um, the, doesn't um, in the book uh, Forces for Good don't they talk about them as being um, ev evangelists? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah which yeah. is a bit of an unfortunate phrase right, to use. Yeah, but yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's yeah, true. Yeah. Um, but the person that that person of wealth would have the most difficulty saying no to. Right. They trust that person. Right. Um, so they've heard the case. They've got the money. And they're listening to the person that, that they really trust. And those are the sort of stars that need to be lined up for an individual to really step out. Um, now that's major giving, sort of major giving 101. But I think we all have that opportunity. He, me, as, as I was telling you earlier, um, a young father with limited resources, giving up $300 that I, you know, w was... A material amount of money mm -hmm. to our family mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but we all have that opportunity we don't all need those three stars in place to to step out and try it um, um, and, and so you said we want to put the person in front of the this uh, high net worth donor yeah. that would have the most difficult difficulty saying no to yeah. that's not for you I don't get the sense from you that's just because this is a cash grab no there's way more going on no. here we're investing in a relationship and Donors um, increasingly care about the outcome of their gift. Right. Uh, so yeah, it, there's definitely been a shift. I would say yeah. in the last 10, 15 years, and I'm seeing it in the international development sector. You know, with with government donors. Yeah. You know, results-based management. Yeah. Tell me about the impact. Tell yeah. me. You know, and I think it's it's a bit troubling and a bit problematic, frankly, when yeah. you want to see impact in a year. Yeah. You know, for a gift, but at the same time, I think it's also a good indication that donors, hopefully or some donors are becoming more interested in the work that they're giving to. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. If you're writing a check for $100, you care less about exactly how that money's used. If you write it for $10,000, you are going to follow sure. and track that organization um, because it's a bigger number. But that gets away a little bit from the notion of generosity. I'm not suggesting that any of us should be writing blank checks and expecting uh, and giving anybody total trust in, in the in the because you just want to give your money away. It's a relationship. You're both investing in an outcome, and and you can grow from that experience. So my recommendation to a donor that. Um, hasn't had that joyful experience yet make a really big gift <laughs> just try it like do your research yeah for yep. sure do yep. your research yep. and trust and see the ceo and the whites of his or her eyes and know that that they'll deliver but make a gift that you just didn't think you'd ever make and track it why is it so hard, um, and maybe this is my own frustration coming out with all the organizations I've worked with over the years, you know, you, you and I off, offline before the recorder was on, we're talking yeah. about capital campaigns. And, yeah. You know, if you want to become a fundraiser, raise money for a camp, you know, yeah. that's, a, that's an easy sell. And, and it's hard to raise money, I think. Um, I, I've always considered myself a relational guy, but I don't know that I'd make a great fundraiser because I mm. have trouble 
sitting here with you, I can hang with you for two, three hours and we'd have a great time. I don't think I'm going to ask you to write a check for me for $10,000 though. Right. And maybe that's just a skill I need to develop. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But why is it so hard to get guys and women, you know, guys in an inclusive yeah. sense, yeah. to donate to, to capacity building, to donate to administration, to donate to the bells, the whistles, the nuts, and the bolts. Yeah. Yep. You know what? I'd love to end the sex trade in Southeast Asia. Yeah. I would love to end TB. Well, yeah. to do those things, or I would love to end homelessness in Hamilton. To do those things, thousands of dollars are required, and yeah. and yet, I don't know. Maybe you you have a different experience, Brian, but you can hear the frustration in my yeah. Opinion. We have um, we see a lot of donors that kind of uh, segment themselves. They want to, they'll invest in program or they'll invest in capital, and it's rare the donor that will invest in capacity building because those are donors typically that have a much longer term view on outcomes. There is no shortage of problems to solve in this world. Yeah. And no one of us or no one organization is going to solve everything. But if a donor through their giving experience can solve something for a period of time, then we've accomplished something. So Fair point, I, yeah. I, I think there's a great um, unfortunate circumstance in our business right now where charities are measured on the effectiveness of their fundraising dollar. It takes money to raise money. Um, and so if we, uh, if it costs us 15 cents or 20 cents on the dollar uh, of funds raised, and I pushed that to 25 or 30 and ended up raising significantly more money to achieve a much greater outcome, then why wouldn't we spend yeah, that money? Yeah, of course. Well, then at that point, it's no longer about the admin, it's about efficacy. Yeah. Right? You got the light shining in the wrong place. Yeah, it, exactly. It seems to me, anyway. Yeah. So well, I've, uh, I don't know if I've said this on a podcast before, because I'm not sure that I've, I've talked to anyone in an interview uh, about this, but I actually kind of blame the nonprofit sector, yeah. in a way, or at least blame I don't like, hold responsible yeah. for this focus on um, results and impact. I'm all about results and impact. Right. I do want to end the sex trade. I do want to end homelessness in Hamilton and so on and right. so on. But uh, um, it, these things just, they're a little more complex. Mm -hmm. They're a little more nuanced. Yeah. And, and I think if nonprofits had a told from the get-go that, hang on guys, this isn't about 100% of your donation going here, or um, you know the child sponsorship agencies, for instance, if they had told us a little bit more in a transparent way where all that money was going, yeah. I think I think we might be in a different place today. Interesting. You yeah. Know, the fine print should have been maybe type 12, and as a printer, you'd under you right. appreciate that instead yeah. of being you know 22 font, right. which you can't read without a magnifying glass. Oh yeah, it's all there, David. Yeah. yeah. Of course it's there. We're transparent, but yeah. nobody reads it. Yeah. You know. Hi, you're absolutely right. It's it's self-inflicted over time. Yeah, we brought this on ourselves, but I, I sense that it's changing. Um, in the end, um, if you want to have greater impact, you need more resources, and it takes resources to get resources. And communications is a huge part of our work now, telling your story. If you can tell your story, then you'll engage people and then grow relationships from that. Uh, and in time, um, I like to reflect on the story that um, McMaster University had. Um, my colleague Roger Troll, who has since retired from McMaster University, 
started a relationship with Michael DeGroote 20 years ago. Hmm. His very first gift to McMaster was $500. Roger and his team did an outstanding job nurturing that relationship over 20 years. And at the end of that 20-year cycle, Mr. DeGroote made the single largest gift to any Canadian university ever made, $105 million. But it started, it started awesome. with the $500 gift and a very planful approach to managing that relationship. And, and who was that? Roger? Roger Troll. As you, you should write a book about that. Oh, yeah, right. That's he's, fantastic. Yeah, he's those, uh, our uh, I mean, local just expert. focus on the one relationship, for yeah, heaven's sakes. Yeah, you know? yeah he's, he's uh, very talented, and uh, he's got a great team, at, now led by Mary Williams, uh, who is equally talented. Like, I would love to ask the question, so when you went in, that first gift, did you, did you ever in a million years think that someday you'd be getting an over $100 million check from this guy? Well, you know? I tell you, every $500 gift I get now, I ask the same <laughs> question. <laughs> Is this leading to a much well? And I think that that speaks to motivation. It yeah. speaks to intention and your yeah. passion and your commitment to the work. And I think, yeah. I mean, I think that's great. Actually, yeah. what a great lesson for all of us to yeah. to see every one of these potential relationships as way more than just a hundred million dollar check. Although it could lead to that as well. Yeah. Or at least that's what I take from that. Sure. Maybe that's the uh, you know platonic idealist. In yeah. The, yeah. But. but what a great story. Yeah. That's amazing. What did yeah. he do along the way? Was it was it a lot of golf? Yeah. It's <laughs> funny you mentioned that. A Roger's a golfer <laughs> and uh, did spend a lot of his, t his career on the golf course with donors. And in fact, it, uh, Roger has, I don't know how many holes in one. It's a ridiculous, <laughs> it's a ridiculous <laughs> number. But, so um, the, the lesson, folks, is yeah, if go you want to raise funds, become a scratch golfer. Right. Yeah. Get out to the driving range yeah. and practice. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think it was a very planful relationship building exercise. And there were a, a whole bunch of gifts in between that 500 and oh, one, sure. 105 yeah. to grow the relationship. But the point is, uh, here's a guy uh, that's now late in life that's looking to accomplish something meaningful. Here's a guy uh, that's now late in life that's looking to accomplish something meaningful in his life. And McMaster is an outstanding institution to be investing in, no question. Um, and some of his uh, latest uh, giving is going directly to his, uh, there's a pain clinic, a pain research hmm. initiative underway at McMaster that Mr. DeGroote suffers from a lot of pain currently. Hmm. He's got, um, I don't know exactly what the condition is, but back to your earlier question, it's his personal experience. Yeah, of course. And so if he yeah. could have a legacy of a gift that, that helps somebody avoid this pain, then. Well, in research and planting seeds in yeah. young minds, and I mean, it's just yeah. so wonderful, right? There's just so layered. Yeah, but but you look at Michael DeGroote, he's our local um, high net worth philanthropist. Andrew Carnegie, out of Pittsburgh, that sold what is now U.S. Steel in the 30s, I think it was, 30s or 40s, for $400 million, a lot of money at that time, invested in the network of libraries across North America. Mm -hmm. There are, I think, believe 3,500 libraries in communities across North America, a great number of those in Canada. Legacy. He made, he knew how to make money making steel. Yeah. But in the end, it wasn't enough. He wanted to accomplish mm. something even greater. Um, 
and there are others like well you look at Warren Buffett and yeah it's yeah and um, I've just read um, life is what you make it have yep. you read that no I haven't wow it's got to be on everybody's list mm. it's so and it's Peter Buffett Warren's son he talks about I mean obviously his pri privileged background and so on but dad didn't give me a lot of money really yeah when you look at how much money he has yeah it, it went fast and now I write music, and I'm an artist, and this, that, and it's it's wonderful, marvelous, marvelous. Oh, book. I have and to give it a read. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, how do you not um, how do you not become cynical about the relational side of it? Oh, this is a relationship. This is relationship building because I want to get the gift. Yeah. And and how do you maintain a sense of of uh, intimacy and maybe not get the gift, right? Yeah. And and because you you can't always know. So I guess the, there's a lot of questions there, Brian. It's, a, it's not a job. It's a passion. It's a calling. It's you know. So there's a lot going on there. You know what? There's there's a lot behind that question that you just asked. Um, I think one of the the most important attributes for any fundraiser is patience hmm. and integrity. If if you don't believe in what you're presenting, if you don't believe in the mission of the organization and its impact. Uh, then you're working for the wrong organization, for starters. But if you uh, start a relationship from the point of when am I going to get the gift and how big is it going to be, um, then you're, you'll get a, a smaller gift, but you'll leave behind a lot. We have to invest in the long term and bring do a really good job bringing the right opportunities to the right people. Um, there are lots of people with wealth that have no interest in what we're doing at the YMCA. Right. I, I hope that I do a reasonably good job to minimize my time with those individuals because there's not going to be any joy for them and no great outcome for our organization either. But if I find people that I can tell in sharing the story yes. Yes. that it's meaningful to them, then that's a relationship that I want to pursue and build over a long period of time. So in development, uh, organizations are getting really smart about investing in the long term. Uh, boards are waking up to the fact that major gifts don't come in a year. They don't come in two years. It may take three. It may take four. And giving development offices time to build those relationships. We we so. got to come to the end of this interview in a couple of minutes, and I hate that. I really hate that about a good conversation. Yeah. But anyway, that's a, that's another topic for yeah. another interview. But I really do want you to touch a little bit on how this all started for you. I mean, we've talked a bit about your faith-based background and coming from the heart and the the Polish computer yeah. guy, which is. Do you remember his name? No, I okay, don't. Okay, that's terrible. Uh, anyway, I should no, know. but that's yeah. fine. It's yeah. just still such a wonderful story. Yeah, you started fundraising. So you're a printer, yeah, and then you started fundraising as a volunteer, yeah, and I think you even said that was before any real faith-based kind of was. edge, yeah. So that's also interesting to me. We yeah. don't have time to pursue that, but yeah. anyway, um, so you you volunteered for eleven months or yeah. so, and that yeah. led then to a position and a complete radical shift at the age of forty. Yeah, exactly. Can you talk a little bit about that as we sure. as we wrap this okay, up? Unfortunately, good. that's a horrible question to ask yeah. near the end, but yeah. still, I think it's a pretty it's a nice way to come full circle. Sure, great, thank you, David. It's it is. I, I think as we were talking earlier, for the last twenty or twenty five years, fundraisers have been become fundraisers from the back door. They don't come in the front door. There is no there hasn't been a front door for fundraising. It's how did we all get here? Mine was truly a backdoor. Uh, I was new to the Hamilton community, looking for a way to meet people in the community, trying to grow a printing company. 
um, through my uh, a family relationship, I was invited to volunteer uh, here at the YMCA for a capital campaign. And I started going out on campaign calls with the CEO at the time, Scott Haldane. And this guy was a wonderful storyteller. And I got such a thrill out of hearing him tell the story, seeing the response from the people that we would share stories with, sharing my own limited experience, and how amazing it, uh, it was to see these gifts come. And mm -hmm. I thought, wow, I could, I, could, I could do more of this. So I'd make more calls, and, and it was a very uh, rich experience. This is after hours? Would this after hours? Well, it was during business hours, typically. Um, occasionally, we'd have a dinner meeting or a breakfast meeting, start yeah, of day, end yeah, of day yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Work it in Because you were day. still working, right? Yeah, still working full-time yeah, in yeah. sales, but ultimately, I was building relationships yeah, in sure, the community sure, that could, yeah. could benefit the printing company that we were trying to build. So there was a bit of a self-serving interest in all of that, but what I was discovering was um, there's great attraction to this charitable sector that I'd never given much thought to in the past. So started uh, a good relationship with the CEO. He asked me to consider joining his board, which I agreed to, and, and that was another wonderful experience. And as part of being on the board, you're involved in the annual campaign and helping with uh, raising resources to uh, help kids get to the Y. And, and uh, so on the board for a little over two years, and at the time the printing interest that I had seemed to be fading. Um, it was re had I reached a point where I don't think uh, it was going to work out, so I shared this with the CEO and and uh, at the time, and he said, "Well, we're thinking of starting a campaign for our camp, Camp Wanakita, and we'll we'll be hiring. We need to put you through the interview process, but would you think about coming to work for us at the Y?" And here I was, 40 or 41, uh, young family, uh, where a lot of people buy a nice red sports car at that time of their life, and. Clearly, I didn't have the money for a red sports car. Um, but it was clear to me that this was meaningful work. Mm -hmm. And it was also at a time when my oldest daughter was about to, I think, enter high school in this whole take your kid to work day thing. And that was weighing on me, thinking, I would want my children to be proud of the work that I do. And, and that was sort of behind a part of that. And I accepted the offer. And as you said, my faith journey was in parallel to that, hmm. and I think the two converged, okay. that he's yep. got me in a place where um, I belong, and I truly enjoy the work that I do. It's not work. Sure, there are days where it feels like work. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's the nature of uh, any uh, vocation, but um, it's meaningful, and I, if I used to say, David, um, when I was in printing, if I ever needed to get lifted up, I'd go spend some time with a customer hmm. because I'd be with them and listening to their circumstance and engage with them. Now in my work, if I want to be lifted up, I'm with a donor and talking about the why, talking about their life and their circumstance. I think it's a, I think that's a brilliant way to end in the sense that we're ending on the other yeah. and we're ending on, 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 a, on this idea of Giving is way more than just a one-way street. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's a community thing. It's very inclusive. Thanks a lot for uh, taking the time today. We've gone a little longer than, than usual, but uh, once again, um, uh, we've shown there is way more going on than meets the eye. So thanks, uh, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, David. Thank you.